Uh, welcome. If this is your first time here with us at One Church, my name is Chris. I'm one of the teaching pastors, and I am honored to be with you guys. Uh, we create environments every Sunday for people who maybe have not checked out church in a while so they can be able to come and they can be able to hear God's word spoken. It would be helpful. And uh, I hope that this series called More has been helpful to you. How many of y'all have enjoyed this series so far? Good. Fantastic. Well, it's all about our appetites. And again, one of the things we've been talking about, when we say the word appetites, we immediately think of food. But we have a lot of appetites, right? We have the appetite to win. We have the appetite to, uh, for sexual intimacy. We have the appetite for food. For guys, that's kind of it. Um, for ladies, it's a little bit more deeper. It's a little bit more complex. But no, seriously, we have the appetite for res- to be respected. We have the appetite uh, for friendships. We've been talking a lot about appetites. And here's the thing we've been learning. Is that... Our appetites aren't necessarily bad because God gave us those appetites. Nothing specifically wrong with the appetites unless the appetites control us. And that is a huge thing that we've been talking about. First week we talked about how our appetites are never fully and finally satisfied and they're powerful. They can direct your life. And you know that because all of us have parents, don't we? All of us have seen parents who've maybe walked out of relationships because they could not keep an appetite in check. Uh, One of the things we talked about last week is that when it comes to appetites, that many times we have a tendency to, when appetites control us, to actually get rid of the things that are most important in our lives. And do we lose priority? We looked at Jacob and Esau and how Esau sold his future because he had an appetite that was out of check. Today, this is our big idea, and it's this, that our appetites always whisper now, never later. Let's all say that if we could. Our appetites always whisper now, never, all right? Our appetites always whisper now, never later. Now, we all know this because all of us have been to Walmart, haven't we? How many of y'all have ever went to Walmart? Intending to buy maybe a gallon of milk for three twenty nine, and you walked out and you're a hundred dollars lighter. You dropped a Benjamin. Anybody? All of us have done that. What in the world happens? Right? We go into Walmart and we see this in cap. In fact, this is interesting. Sixty seven percent of all things put on in caps actually they they sell quicker because they're on the in caps. Very very interesting. We, it's called impulse buying. And all of us have had, have had that impulse buying. In fact, this is, a, as I was doing some, some uh, research on the internet, this is a fellow by the name of Clive Jenkins. These, this is an exact quote. He says, we went to Sam's Club to get some hot dogs to grill out, and we came out with a hot tub instead. <laughs> True story. The trip cost us nearly $7,000 more than he and his wife had planned. Clive says, and you know what? We even forgot to buy the hot dogs. <laughs> I told my wife, we can't afford to go back there to get them. <laughs> because all of us have been... How many of y'all have ever bought anything off an infomercial? Come on now, tell the truth, shame the devil. Jay, I see you. We're among friends. We're okay, we'll hug it out. At first service, nobody raised their hand. And you know why? Because evidently in the first service, a lot of people have problems with lying. All, right? all of us have done it. In fact, I'm going to show you just a quick... We're not going to watch the whole thing of this. But look, here's, here's, a, here's an infomercial... That many of us have gotten trapped into. Watch this. Hi, it's Vince with Sham Wow. You'll be saying wow every time you use this towel. It's like a chamois, it's like a towel, it's like a sponge. A regular towel doesn't work wet. 
This works wet or dry. This is for the house, the car, the boat, the RV. ShamWow holds 20 times its weight in liquid. Look at this. It just does the work. How do you want to work twice as hard? Doesn't trip. Doesn't make a mess. Wring it out. You wash it in a washing machine. Made in Germany. You know the Germans always make good stuff. You can cut it in half. Use one as a bath mat. Bring the dishes with the other one. Use one as a towel. Olympic divers. They use it as a towel. Look at Completely dry. Put a wet sweater. Roll it up. It dries your sweaters. Here's some cola. Wine, coffee, cola, head stain. Not only is the damage going to be on top. There's your mildew. That is going to smell. See that? The most of We're going to do this in real time. Look at this. Put on the spill. Turn it over. Without even putting any pressure, 50% of the cola right there. You follow me, camera guy? The other 50%, the color starts to come up. No one in town is going to do that. It acts like a vacuum. And look at this. Virtually dry on the bottom. See what I'm telling you? Damn wow, you'll be saying wow every time. I can't live without it. I just love it. Oh my gosh. I don't even buy paper towels anymore. If you don't wash your cars or any kind of vehicle, you'd be out of your mind not to own one of these. All I can say is sham. Wow! You're gonna spend twenty dollars every month on paper towels and your money away. The mini sham wows are for everything, for everyday use. This lasts ten years. This lasts a week. I don't know. It sells itself. The sham wow sells for nineteen ninety-five. When you get one for the house, one for the car, two for the kitchen and bathroom. But if you call now, within the next twenty minutes, because we can't do this all day, we'll give you a second set, absolutely free. So that's eight sham wows for nineteen ninety-five. It comes with a ten-year warranty. Here's how to order. All right. How many, how many of y'all have bought a ShamWow? Anybody? How, thank you. I see you in the back. How many of y'all have done the Snuggie? Our worship pastor looks really mean and evil sometimes with his tattoos. He actually has a Snuggie. All right. Joshua. In, in first, yeah, first service, he turned me off because I was sharing this. So, anyway, you know, all of, some of you, you may have got the pet egg, right? Um, uh, the others, I mean, we... Here's the thing about, this is really interesting about infomercials. When I was a kid, infomercials, they didn't exist. In fact, I remember, you'll remember this, that you, back in Clarksville, there only used to be three stations, two, four, and five. I'm talking to you, Wally. All right, we grew up together, right? Two, four, and five. ABC, NBC, CBS. And at 10 o'clock midnight, what would happen? There was the national anthem, right? And they did the national anthem, and then it went to snow, Right? But one of the things they found out is if they could, you could just keep on playing infomercials, you could sell stuff during those, those dark periods where nobody, everybody should be asleep, but we're not, right? Here's the thing. This is interesting. A year, the infomercials bring in $150 billion a year. That's a lot of money, all right? And it all plays on the idea of our appetites always whisper now, never later. Because many of us, you picked up the phone, you were asleep, you said, I gotta have my share while you get it, and, it, you, and you're like, what in the world did I do last night, right? Was it a dream, was it a nightmare? I don't know. You get it, it doesn't perform. What do you do with this mess? You give it away as a Christmas gift. Bam, right? That's the reason why if you call in the next 20 minutes, you can get two, I mean, I mean, seriously. Here's one of the things I learned, is especially with these infomercials, that if they try to pressure you into making the purchase now, they don't want you to think about it later. Because if you think about it later, you won't do it. So if you call now, and that is appetite. It's impulse buying, and all of us do that. Now, here's the thing. We're talking about our, our appetites whisper now, never later. And we're going to learn this principle from one of the, the first kings in the Bible. The first king of Israel, his name was King Saul. 
And King Saul was voted king in a popularity contest, not because he was a good leader, not because he had character and integrity, but because he looked the part of king. In fact, the Bible says that Saul, he stood head and shoulders above everyone else. So everybody, when they said, hey, we want a king, everybody voted on Saul, and Saul became the king, not because of anything good in here, but because he looked the part. Now here's the thing. God told Saul through the prophet Samuel, gave him some very specific instructions that Saul did not follow because Saul had an appetite run amok. This is in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 24, and this is what it says. Then Saul admitted to Samuel, Saul is the king, Samuel is the prophet. Yes, I've sinned. I have disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command, for I was, what does it say? Afraid of who? Afraid of the people and did what they demanded. Look here, this is an appetite run amok. Because all of Saul, he had this appetite of pleasing people. In fact, some of you, you may have that same issue as well. You, you find it hard to say no because you want to please people. And you know what? Pleasing people is not necessarily a bad thing. But if it's, if it's between pleasing people or pleasing God, who should be the winner? God, thank you very much. All right, in the back. All of us. God should be the winner through this, not people. But Saul chose to please people over God. And because of that, look at what happens. This is in verse 26. But Samuel replied, since you have rejected the Lord's command, God has rejected you as king of Israel. The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to somebody else, one who is better than you. So Saul turned his back on God. So God turned his back on Saul. Now, I want to talk, talk about this for a little bit because that doesn't mean that God, he like lost his salvation or anything like that. But here's the thing. As a leader, there's always a stricter judgment. In fact, James 3.1 says, don't let many of you be teachers because you're going to be held at a higher standard. So it's not like God like hated Saul. That wasn't it. But there's always consequences to our actions, especially for leaders. So, look at what happens here. He turns his back on God, so God turns his back on Saul, and God chose, is going to choose another king. Now, if you think of it this way, usually when somebody chooses another king, they usually choose the son of the king who's in charge, right? So, the son of Saul, his name is Jonathan, but God didn't choose Jonathan. He chose someone totally different. Saul's from the tribe of Benjamin. And God is going to choose a fellow in, in the tribe of Judah. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel 16, verse 1. And let's look at the better man that God chose. Somebody who was a little bit better than Saul. This is what it says in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, You have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man by the name of Jesse who lives there. For I have selected one of his sons to be my king. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab. Now, Eliab is one of the oldest of Jesse's sons. We're getting ready to find out Jesse's going to have a total of eight sons. So here's one of those eight. He looked, took one look at Eliab and he thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Surely this guy's the king. Now, does Samuel know this guy Eliab? No. He's solely basing his decision on what? Outward appearance. That's exactly right. In fact, that's the same mistake that Israel did with King Saul. 
the joker who's in power right now. But listen to what God tells Samuel. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or by his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by what? Outward appearance. But God looks where? The heart. That's so huge. And let me tell you, that's the reason why, you know what, you don't have to get dressed up to come to church. I was in Chicago this past week, and I heard this pastor speak, and he said that um, this lady uh, called uh, the specific church and uh, asked what uh, service times, and they told him, and one of the, uh, the leaders of the church was in the parking lot and knew they were going to have a visitor because this lady called the answer machine and asked when service times were. So they called him back. So this person's expecting, and this lady shows up, pulls up at the visitor spot and gets out of the car, and true story, the leader of this church, this deacon, comes up and says, Ma'am, if you're not going to wear your Sunday vest here, you need to leave. And she got in her car and she left. Now, here's the thing. God doesn't care what you look like. You know what? If you like wearing suits and ties, then you can totally do that. Nothing wrong with wearing suits and ties. If you don't like wearing suits and ties, nothing wrong with that. Because at the, end, at the end of the day, God doesn't care what you look like on the outside. He's more interested in what's happening inside of you. Man looks at the outward appearance. That is true. But God looks deeper. He looks at the heart. So he tells Samuel, Eliab, he's not the one. I'm going to keep on reading He's looking for a character of the king, something inside. Then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, this is not the one who the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shemaiah. But Samuel said, neither is this the one that the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen each one of these. So Samuel scratched his head because God had told him, you're going to choose a son of Jesse, and he's going to be the next king. Now, Jesse gets all of his sons together, and God hasn't chosen any of them. So Samuel's kind of like a little confused. So he says, are these all the sons you have? And listen to what Jesse says. They're still the youngest, but he's out in the fields, and he's watching the sheep and the goats. I mean, think about this. Samuel tells Jesse, get all of your sons, I'm choosing a king. And Jesse, the father, doesn't even think of this young son, the youngest, and his name is David. David, and it means beloved. He doesn't even think of him because he can't be king material. I mean, after all, he smells like sheep and goats, right? Now look, look what happens here. Send for him at once, Samuel says. We will not sit down and eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. David was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes, and the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. So David stood there among his brothers. Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Lord, and the Spirit of the Lord came a powerfully upon David from that day on. So what, what all that means is this. He's just been inaugurated. He's just been chosen. David, who's probably about 17, 16, 17 at the time, he is going to be the next king of Israel. So what, is, what are people doing here? I mean, does he immediately become king? I mean, is everybody going, long live King David? Is that how it works? Where's the scepter, the crown, the gold, all of that? Does it happen immediately? Look at what it says. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. You know what that means? Business as usual. 
It would be like somebody showing up today and said, by the way, I'm choosing you. You're going to be the next president of the United States. Really? Yeah. So they make you, they inaugurate you, you say the oath, and then you go back delivering papers. You're like, that's it? I mean, and this is interesting, for the next 12 years, how many years? 12 years, David is waiting to become king, and the reason why he's having to wait is because Saul is still alive. I mean, he's having to wait. Now, he's been promised to be the king, and, 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 and he's just waiting. And it's this waiting game that starts to play havoc on everybody's appetites. Because Saul is angry because God has rejected him. And Saul is angry because his son Jonathan is not going to be the next king. So he's ticked. And David, he starts to become popular. In fact, the next chapter, he kills this big old ugly dude named Goliath, who's nine feet tall. Alright? And, and everybody starts singing, you know, hey, David. And they start, they start making songs about him. That Saul has killed thousands, but David has killed ten thousands. And think about that. You're the king, and you're hearing this top 40 hit. You're starting to get ticked, aren't you? Because, you know what? I mean, I'm the king, but they like David better than they like me. And this started making Saul mad, and he started getting jealous, and he started getting angry, and he started getting bitter with hatred. And, and after a while, this hatred and jealousy begins so thick that he starts to want to kill David. Now, David, in the meantime, has become captain of Saul's bodyguard. He's fiercely loyal to the king Saul. But it doesn't matter. Because Saul's appetite for power and to hold on to power has gripped him so much that he can't see anything. And he starts running and, and chasing after David. And King Saul is wanting to kill David. Now think about that. You're David. You're waiting for 12 years to be king. You've been promised to be king by God. And you're waiting. And now the king who you love, you respect, you've served is running after you and he's trying to kill you. How does that make you feel? I mean, what about that? I mean, he has a... The, king is, the kingship is his. And he has this desire to want to lead and for authority and influence. What happens? Look at... This is what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 1. And we're going to stay at the scripture until the end. It says this. After Saul returned from fighting the Philistines... He was told that David had gone into the wilderness of Engedi. So Saul is wanting to pursue David in order not to pin a medal on him, but to kill him. Now, he's going towards the wilderness. Let me speak a little bit about this. When we think of wilderness, we think of trees, right? And we think of lush valleys. Let me show you what a wilderness looks like in Israel. This is the wilderness right outside of Engedi. The, the, the biblical word for wilderness, it looks more like a parking lot than it does the wilderness that we have here in Tennessee. Because there's no vegetation, there's not any shrubs, there's no trees, it's just desert. In fact, for some of you who have been to Iraq, you know kind of what this looks like. Because it's just desert. Now here's the thing, out of all of these miles of desert, in just, I mean, in just desolation, David runs to a place called En Gedi. And let me show you some pics of En Gedi. I took some of these when I was in Israel in 97. And you can see some of the, uh, the green vegetation in this valley. Go to the next pic. 
There's tons of water in Engedi. Beautiful waterfalls. All right? Go to the next one. There's me hanging out under a waterfall in Engedi. All right? That's pretty scary, so we're moving on. I, I mean, just beautiful waterfalls in Engedi. So it's not home, but David is literally in an oasis. I mean, in, in, in the Middle Eastern mindset, where water is, their life is. So there's tons of water here. There's tons of life. So he's hanging out, him and all of his men. In fact, we may have one other pic. There's some caves around Engedi. Um, and there's a, a little bit, uh, a picture of one of the caves found at this little oasis called Engedi. And I'm going to keep on reading in verse 2. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all of Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. At the place where the road passes, some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. And let me tell you what that means in the Hebrew. It means... He went into a cave to relieve himself. Alright? He's in, he's in a cave. He's taking some reading material. Alright? He's planning on doing probably around the number two here. Right? And he's hanging out there. Now listen. He has 3,000 elite troops. He's wanting to keep some type of semblance of respect. So he's going away from his troops. He's going into a cave. He's taking off his cape. He's taking off his armor. He's putting down his sword, his shield... And he's getting ready, right? Now, this is a wonderful story here, all right? <clears throat> Let's keep on going. All right, verse, in verse 3, but as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. <laughs> How would you like to be one of David's men in the back of that cave? You're hiding from your life, running from King Saul, and all of a sudden, King Saul, the one who God has rejected, but he was still king, he comes in and he starts taking off his cape. Look at David. You're Saul. What is he doing? He starts taking off his armor. Oh. And he starts taking off his pants. Oh, dear Lord. Right? And, 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 and this, this is your mindset. All of David's friends says, this is it. This is your time. This is the time. I mean, this is not coincidence, David. This is the time where you can come in and look at what verse 4 says. Now's your opportunity. David's men whispered to him. What is our big idea? Our appetites whisper now. Never later. Now is the time. Today, the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish, David. Our appetites always whisper now, never later. And this is it. This is the opportunity. This, I mean, God, I mean, David's men is they're, they're pumping him up. Listen, he's yesterday's news, David. You're the man. We're here, we're, we're here following you. And do you think this is just coincidence, David? I mean, of all the places to be, he chooses this cave to come in and do his business. And we're farther back. Take the opportunity. Let me show you a principle from this passage. It's going to be on your screen. Not all opportunities are from God. Especially if you have to break God's laws in order to be able to get there. Not all opportunity is from God. You see, just because it happens in your circumstance doesn't mean that God wants you to take hold of that opportunity. Especially if you have to break God's word in order to be able to get it. Especially. Not all opportunity is from God. 
I mean, think about the opportunity here. I mean, just the odds that Saul would have picked this cave. I mean, think about that. That's crazy. David could have rationalized it and justified it in his mind. The fact that God chose, that, that, that Saul chose this cave and he was already there. It's like God is begging him. So what does David do? What would you do? You know that you have every right to that. What would you do? Would you take, would you take matters in your own hands? Would you, would you listen to everybody else and say, do it? Do it. Listen to what God's word says. It says this. So David crept forward and cut. What does he do? Cut his leg off, his arm off? What's happening here? What would you do in this situation? Let me tell you a principle. God is in control. And let me tell you this. If God wants you to be king, there's nothing you can do to be able to mess up God's plan. And let me say this. If God wants you to be king, there's nothing else anybody else can do to mess up God's plan. But not all opportunities are from God, especially when you have to break God's word in order to be able to get there. So let's look at what he does, because God is in control, and David knows that. David chose not to listen to his appetites whisper now. Then hold up. Time out. Let's see, and let's put this in perspective. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. The Lord knows I shouldn't have done that to my Lord and King, he said to his own men. The Lord forbid it that I should do this to my Lord the King and attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul, because they're all itching for a fight. They're ready to be back home with their wives and their kids. I'm going to keep on reading. After Saul had left the cave and gone on his way, David came out and shouted after him, My Lord, the king! And when Saul looked around, David bowed low before him. And then he shouted to Saul, Why do you listen to the people who say that I'm trying to harm you? This very day, you can see with your own eyes, it isn't true. For the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. Some of my men told me to kill you. But I spared you, for I have said I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed one. Look, my father, at what I have in, in my hand. It is a piece of the hem of your robe. I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. This proves I am not trying to harm you and that I have sinned. I'm not sinned against you, even though you have been hunting me to kill me. May the Lord judge between us. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you are trying to do to me, but I will never harm you. As the old proverb says, from evil people become evil deeds, so you can be sure I will never harm you. Let me tell you, in a nutshell, there are some serious consequences when we choose to take the things in our own hands and choose to take opportunities that God never intends us to take. Some of you know this. You're on your second third, maybe your fourth marriage because you saw an opportunity and you chose to take it and you realize once you took it, you're not any happier in your second than you were in your first. Because why? Because the constant is you. Some of you, 
You move from job to job to job because you think that the grass is greener on the other side. But you see, it has nothing to do with being happy in a certain job there because joy is found here. Very, very important. Some of you, you have went from credit card to credit card to credit card because your appetites are saying you can buy it now. You don't have to wait. I mean, everybody else has it. You deserve it, right? But our appetites always whisper now, never later. Let me put it this way. Do you know God doesn't need your help? He doesn't need your help. If he wants you to get promoted, you will get promoted. Because God is in control. He doesn't need your help. And if you have to manipulate the circumstances and especially break God's law to do it, killing God's anointed one, the king, then you better believe that opportunity is not worth seizing. And you know what? He could have, he could have assassinated him. He could have came out holding Saul's head in one hand and some toilet paper trailing behind David in the other. Right? But the problem is... He would have become king that way, but he wouldn't have become God's king. And God had a plan for David's life. And he, if he had chose the easy way out and the quicker way out, he would have been choosing a less than story that God really wanted for him. But David went on because he waited to become the greatest king in all of Israel's history. Israel had 20 kings. And from David's life on, the next 18 kings were all measured by David's standard. And this is how the Bible uh, says that the king followed after David's footsteps and followed the Lord. Some kings followed that. Other kings that weren't so good, this is how it describes them. The king did not follow after David's footsteps and did not follow the Lord. Why? Because David was a man after God's own heart and he chose to tell his appetites, no, God's in control. I'm waiting. I'm not going to manipulate the circumstances. I'm not going to choose a less than life by forcing it, because God doesn't need my help. I mean, think about this as we close. If David, if David would have chosen now instead of later, he would have become king earlier, but he would not have been God's king. And let me tell you the two reasons. <coughs> Excuse me. The first reason is this, and you need to know this. How you gain power is how you're going to lose power. If David had decided to assassinate King Saul, David's own men would have realized, you know, how, how does one become king? Well, it's pretty easy. All you got to do is to kill the, kill the dude in charge. And David knew at one day, one time, in some moment, that he would be in his own cave doing his own business. Because all of us, here's the, here's the principle, how you gain power is how you will lose power. Let me, let me apply that into our life because none of us are probably going to become king anytime soon, right? How you step on the people at work so that you can get the promotion, that stuff comes around. And you will be stepped on. Let me apply it this way. For some of you, you're flirting with temptation and you are wanting to get involved with another person who's married. But you need to know that if you can convince them to cheat on their spouse, that it's only a matter of time before they will cheat on you. Because how you gain a spouse is how you will lose a spouse. 
You see, some of you, you, you're teenagers and you're, the issue, the appetite of wanting to become sexually active is a really good thing. Nothing wrong with that. God created it. But your appetite, you're saying, you don't need to wait. Go ahead and go now. And you need to know that if you would do that, you are choosing a less than life. Because if you can't stay sexually pure now, what's to say that you're going to stay sexually pure once you get married? Now, some of you are thinking, well, that's easy because when you get married, you have all the sex you want. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Everybody who's married is going, that's a good one. <laughs> right? Because there's something about it that our appetites are screaming. Let's do it now. Let's do it now. And sometimes it's no one. Sometimes it's just not yet. you got to wait. All right? So how you gain power is how you lose power. But let me tell you another reason why this wouldn't have gone so well for David. And it's this. That this would destroy David's reputation. All right? So th think through me. David climbs up behind Saul. <coughs> and he kills him. He becomes king. And now David is an old man. And he's still king. And he gathers all of his grandchildren around around Thanksgiving. And they're like, Granddaddy David, will you tell us how you became king again? Sure, gather around. Well, there was this old evil guy named Saul. Okay. Did you meet him on the battlefield? No, um, uh, he was doing his business in a cave. Okay. Um, well, uh, uh, did, did he have, was he, you know, what was he armed with? He was unarmed. Okay. Um, well, tell, tell us, you know, what happened? Well, I, I, while he was distracted, I came up behind him and I stabbed him in the back. I mean, how's that for a legacy for your children? That wouldn't have been a legacy for his children, would it? But see, some of us, we're choosing a now life when God is saying, no, I want you to wait until later. We're choosing now life and we're jeopardizing our legacies. And our children and our grandchildren, we're going to tell the stories of how we got our spouse or how we got our second spouse or how we got the job, how we got the whatever you fill in that blank. And they're going to scratch their heads and go in, but that doesn't seem quite right. And you know what? It's not. And we lose the respect of our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren because we manipulate the situation and we think, if it's, a, if it's to be, it's up to me. And that is jacked up. Because if it's, to, if it's to be, it's up to God. And we are to obey God's law and God's word and not manipulate it and say now rather than later. So, where are you at right now? What type of less than story are you settling for because you're choosing now? When really, we need to be telling our appetites, you know what, we're going to wait. Let's, let's apply this when it comes to money because it is around Christmas time, right? Now, I know y'all are not going to like this because money, nobody likes talking about money. I heard this yesterday. Did you know that the average person spends $700 on Christmas gifts? Now, think about this. How do we do it? How do we pay for it? Many of us, we choose um, Amex, MasterCard, Visa, and we charge it. And here's a principle that I, I, I love how this one person says this. Economists say that with every generation, the younger generation expects to have what their older generation has spent their entire lifetimes amassing, and they want to have it now. So what do we do? We jeopardize our financial future by whipping out a piece of plastic 
at 18, 20, 22% a month. And we charge it now, not thinking about what type of impact it's going to have later on our children, on our friendships, on whether or not we can give to God what He says. I think most people want to give to God. The issue is they just got nothing to give. Because they give it to everything else, and there's too much month at the end of the paycheck. I mean, how many of us would feel just so freeing if we could give God what He asked? But not only that, even being generous to people that we would see on the street. I mean, one of the things we're, we're supporting this month through our tithes and offerings is Mana Cafe. And Mana Cafe goes to feed the homeless. And so many of us, when we see that person on the street, they may be asking for money, they may not. Many of us would like to be able to give, but we've got nothing in our pockets to give because we have chosen now. When really, we should have chosen later. This applies when it comes to sex. And we've already talked about this, about having sex before marriage. We choose now rather than later. But let's talk about pornography with this. Because so many people, it's not just a man thing, it's women too. We choose the easy now of pornography because we can't get our spouse in the mood or it's too much work or whatever it is. And what we do is we cheapen sexual intimacy. And we cheapen it so much that even once we are able to become physically intimate with our spouse, it's so jumbled up and wrapped up up here, we can't enjoy it because we've chosen now, the easy now of pornography instead of later. Our appetites. Nothing wrong with any of our appetites unless they control us. And if we are always telling our appetites, sure, yeah, yeah, let's charge it. Let's go ahead and do it. Get clear. We are choosing a less than life that God wants for us. All right? I have, I'm going to answer some questions and then we're going to be done. Got a couple. Uh, got four actually. It says this: Why is it so hard to follow the Lord? What can I do to make my mind follow my heart easier? That's a great question. All right, let me uh, give you a verse, and this is uh, Romans chapter twelve, verse two. In fact, I would encourage you to write this verse down and maybe even memorize this verse. It says this. <coughs> um. I was going to quote this, and I'm having like a brain flagellation thing. Uh, let me just... Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says... Um, all, right, all right, I hear you out there quoting it. All right, all right. <laughs> 12, verse 2. It says this. Um, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know what God's will is for you. Because, see, that's the issue. How do, you, how do we know that God wants us to take advantage of that? Well, you allow God to transform the way you think, and how we do that is with getting in God's word every day. I tell you, there's no shortcut for it. There is no shortcut for it. If you spend time in God's word, I'm telling you, he will be clear, either through his word or through his spirit in your life. But he will show you what God's will for you is, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. So uh, there isn't any shortcut, and it's not easy. And it takes, it's not reading the entire Bible in one day, but it's reading a little bit of the Bible every day, every day, every day. And I promise you, 
you will be able to figure out what God's will is for you. All right? Let me go to the next uh, question. If God doesn't need help, then why are we here? <laughs> That's a good question. All right? <clears throat> you know, God doesn't need He doesn't need our help. But God chooses to use us because he loves us. You see, God gives us a choice. We can either choose to obey him, and if we do, he's, we're going to get blessings for that. Or we can choose to disobey him, and God's still going to do whatever he wants. He's going to make it happen. You're just going to be the ones missing out. A great uh, um, illustration of that is Jonah. Uh, it's a four-chapter book in the Bible in the Old Testament. And God tells Jonah to do something. Jonah goes, uh-huh. And he runs the other way. And you know, in the, end of, in the end of the book, you know what happens? Jonah did exactly what God told him to do. But at the end of the day, he smelled like fish vomit because he disobeyed. And some of you, and yeah, put that in your book. Some of you, your lives smell like fish vomit because you've been running so far from God. And God's going to do what he, if he wants that person, it's going to happen. Because God is in control. All right? Really, really good question. All right? Last one. And this is, a, this is a, a really good question. I like this. How do you determine whether or to take the opportunity given to you or not? It is hard at times to determine when to act and when to wait. Great question. And let me give you uh, two or three answers to be able to help with that. The first one I've already said, you've got to read the Bible. And, you know, find a, a Bible that you can understand and read. There is no substitute for getting in God's Word, right? You're going to always hear me say that. The second one is this. You need to pray and ask God. You need to talk to God, and you say, God, okay, I have this opportunity. My family can either move to this state, or we can stay here. What do you want? And then you stop talking, and you let Him answer. Because if you're a Christian, God gives us His Holy Spirit. And you know what? This still small voice... You're going to be able to hear that. That's that. So you, you read God's word, you pray, then you ask your spouse. Well, this is huge. One of the things, if God wants to speak to you, he will speak to your spouse. And it's always happened in my wife, with my wife. Her name is Kim. We're going to celebrate 18 years this year. But it's one of those things, when, I, when, when God is telling me to do something, and let me give you an example. In fact, I used this first service, and this individual said I could talk about the second service. Um, we have a, a fellow on staff by the name of Luther. And Luther went to a, a conference uh, a couple of weeks ago in October called Catalyst. And while at this conference, he felt that God was telling him and leading him towards adopting. Now, they have children who are older. So this would be a huge life change for them, right? So he's like, wow. And, you know, he's, God's kind of wrecking his life and trying to figure out, you know, what, what about his wife? What is his wife going to say? Well, his wife didn't go to the conference. She stayed here in Parksville. The next week, they go on vacation together to Florida, and his wife, Rhonda, looks at Luther and says, you know what, I feel like God's telling me that we should adopt. That's just coincidence, right? No. Because if God tells you to do something, he's, he's the great at being able to connect the dots. And you know what, listen to your spouse, men, listen to your spouse. We get in trouble when we choose not to listen to our wives. Or wives, listen to your husband. Huge. And then the last thing, get around people who have godly, who are godly people and listen to what they say. Proverbs says this over and over again, that plans fail because of the, of the lack of wise counsel. 
Get around people who you know are walking it and are reading God's word and ask them, what do you think about this? And listen as God many times speaks through them because it chooses. And this, God just put this verse in my head. In Psalm 119 says this, that thy word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. So as you're struggling through which direction to go, the best thing you can do is open up God's Word and let Him illuminate which direction you need to go. Alright? Thank you guys so much. Let me pray for us and then uh, Ron will come out. Dear God, we thank you so much, Lord, for your love. I thank you so much, God, that we can be able to come and read the Bible and just look at, and just look at really practical things. Lord, um, though none of us are struggling with whether or not to be the next king or not. Lord, we're all, we all struggle with our appetites. We all struggle with desires and wanting more and more and more. God, I pray, Lord, Lord, as we, as we work through stuff and we have to be patient, Jesus, I pray, Lord, that we would rely on you to be in control of everything. That we wouldn't have to manipulate a situation to be able to get what we want. But, Lord, that if you want us there, you will make it happen. Lord, I pray that we would not choose a less than life by allowing our appetites to take control. But, Lord, that we would always look to you, Jesus Christ. That we would look to be able to your word and you would be able to direct us. And, Lord, that you would give us the confidence and the patience and the courage to be able to tell our appetites later instead of now. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray.